Isn't it time you lived life on your own terms? If not now, when? Visit abrilliantgamble.com for more information on Blair's new exciting online coaching program. Midlife doesn't have to be a crisis. It's a time to rethink who you are and what you really want from your work, your life, and yourself. Sacrificing your soul stops here. It's time to make some plans, make them happen, and live the life you deserve. With interviews, stories from her own adventures, and expert insights, here's your host, best-selling author, speaker, and coach, Blair Palmer. Hello and welcome to episode 108 of A Brilliant Gamble. I hope you are really well. I'm not on the farm today. I am in Nottingham. I'm giving a a speech, in fact, two speeches tomorrow at Nottingham University for postgraduate students there. Very exciting. Um, For those that don't know, this is the other side of my business. So not only am I helping people leave the corporate world and uh, make a living doing something that they love and find the lifestyle that really works for them but I also have my other side of my business which is all around leadership and that is what I'm going to be talking to these young men and women about tomorrow which is fantastic it's brilliant to get in when they're quite junior in their careers and uh, start them thinking differently about how they might lead their organizations in the future so that's what I'm doing tomorrow but I got to my hotel room nice and early so that I could prepare this interview for you. My guest is Maxwell Ivy. He describes himself as the blind blogger. He was born into a carnival family. He became blind in his teens, but he's never let it stop him doing what he wanted to do. He's now not only a successful businessman, but an inspirational speaker, coach and podcaster and blogger, of course, helping people follow their dreams just as he has done. He wasn't always someone who thought he could do anything, but he's learnt not only what he's capable of, but also that just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should. We talk about that in our conversation. We start by talking about how he became a businessman in his own right, how blindness has and has not affected him, how his business has evolved, and his thoughts about how dreams and ambitions can evolve without you knowing exactly how or where that journey is going to take you. And finally, his latest big achievement, losing more than 250 pounds in body weight. I wanted to talk to Maxwell because we've all got excuses for why we can't do something, whether it's our age, our health, our experience or lack of it, our education or lack of it, our financial situation, our family's opinions, our self-critical voice, I could go on, lots of excuses. And in our conversation, we talk about the questions you should ask yourself before you take the leap and how to deal with your own limiting thoughts. I've had my eyes opened in my conversation with Maxwell, and I'm sure you will too. Let's go to the show. Max, so good to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing just fine this morning. How are you doing? Yeah, really, really good. Thanks. There are so many interesting things about you, and uh, you have so much to share with my audience, but I, I want to start, I guess it makes sense to start at the beginning. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about you and your background because you had a kind of unusual, unusual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have, um, um, I am a totally blind guy who grew up in a family of carnival owners. Um, I started losing my vision at age four. I had lost uh, a good chunk of it by 12. And then by the time I graduated from college, I was totally blind. But all I ever really wanted to do was be part of the family business. And we found ways for me to do that, such as using Braille labels on the duck pond ducks or the uh, catch-a-duck ducks, as I think they call them over there. And, you know, I was able to help people by lifting and carrying heavy objects and also doing the cold calling for the bookings and operating some kids' games. But when my dad died in 2003, Shortly thereafter, we realized we weren't going to be able to keep the carnival going, so I started looking around for what I could do next. And the only thing I felt like I knew at that time was uh, was helping people sell their surplus ride equipment, so that's what I started doing. So 
I uh, started doing that and filed for my website, the Midway Marketplace in 2007. And of course, the first thing I learned was how much I didn't know. Um, I filed for a domain name not realizing, not having any clue how I was ever going to get online, what a website was, what HTML was. I would eventually have to learn how to hand code HTML, um, how to borrow if, uh, slash steal Java and PHP code from other friendly uh, website owners, um, set fees, recruit clients, how to hand, figure out a way to handle media, video, you know, photos and videos that people sent me, record videos. And people started saying, you know, Max, you just seem to take on the next challenge and no matter how difficult or uh, or unfamiliar it is to you, you just, you know, you just do whatever's in front of you. We think that's really inspirational. We want you to share more. So that led to me starting the blindblogger.net where I share more about what it is to be an entrepreneur who happens to be blind. And, uh, and along the way, I hope that I inspire and motivate other people to uh, take, take action in their own lives, uh, mostly in small ways. My, one of my taglines is uh, big dreams start with small steps and those, First, little, small, scared ones are the hardest ones. So um, since then, I've written three books. I've done dozens of podcast interviews. I've started my own show, What's Your Excuse? I've traveled cross-country solo. I sing, not professionally. And um, I'm now helping other authors and coaches get exposure by booking them on podcasts and radio shows and virtual summits. So as you say... It's been a long road from carnival owner, from morbidly obese failed carnival owner to respected amusement equipment broker, and now motivational speaker, coach, author. Did yeah. I use up all of our time telling people yeah. how to? How... <laughs> no, and there's, I mean, you've given me everything I need to ask you a ton of questions. So let's, We're good. let's go back. Um, you, you skipped really neatly over. Um, the process of becoming blind. Um, what what was that actually like? I mean, when when I imagine that, I imagine it as being terrifying. Was it to you? No, I um, I have I had several things working for me. One, I grew up in a family of people who. Uh, you know, were never the oh me, what am I going to do about life kind of people. Uh, when you grow up in a family that operates a small business, there's a lot of uh, that old can-do spirit or um, the, you know, just it does us no good to cry about it. What can we do about it kind of people? Um, second, I have retinitis pigmentosa, which means that I was losing my vision gradually for the most part. So, I, for example, I went from reading regular books, which I still love to read, and I read my first book at five, um, to reading larger print books to eventually having to use a closed-circuit television to blow the books up to uh, then reading them on audiobooks or digital downloads now or also Braille. And the third thing I had going for me is I w was in a very good school environment, so as my vision was changing, there were teachers, there were orientation and mobility specialists, there were lots of people around to help help you adjust to it. And a lot of the things that I was doing, like uh, learning to navigate street crossings and uh, riding buses and uh, figuring out how to get onto an airplane, a lot of the things I was doing, they were fun. I got to get out of class about twice a month and uh, and go do things that, yeah, some of them were scary. Like the first time I crossed a four lane street, that was, that was a little bit, uh, of a, of a, uh, of a white knuckle moment. I think y'all call them, but for the most part, it was like, oh, this isn't bad. This is fun. This is entertaining. It's uh, new, different experiences. So a lot of that, you know, that's, that's why to me, it was, was never really as bad as it is for some people. I wrote my first book leading you out of the darkness into the light that I was not one of these people who ever contemplated suicide or whose parents broke up or any of the really um, ne negative uh, emotional things that you hear about in some, some of blind people or other people with disabilities life stories. I mean, I guess that really teaches me a lesson about making assumptions because, you know, just because a thing happens that 
you think if it happened to you, you know how you would react and you would react, you know, by being terrified or whatever. Firstly, it doesn't mean you would react that way. And secondly, it doesn't mean someone else would. And it sounds like your kind of family environment, this can-do attitude and not making excuses or complaining about it, really set you up well for, for not just that, but probably a lot of things that have happened to you. <coughs> Yeah, the ability to be flexible and adapt to life situations, the decision that there has to be a solution. If uh, we just think about it and approach it creatively, we can find a solution. And the one thing that the, the carnival world teaches you is that nobody cares what happened to you during the previous week. All they care about is on Thursday or Friday, can they buy a funnel cake, can they ride the Ferris wheel, can they win a stuffed animal? And that kind of approach to your business seeps into your personal life when it's a family business like that. And you, you eventually learn that really nobody cares about you. <laughs> they just want to know if, if you're providing a service or if you're offering a product, they want to know how, all they want to know is, you know, how does this affect me? And I could really care less what's going on in your personal life. Yeah, I think that's probably true for all of us, isn't it? You know, when, when um, sometimes I talk to people in business and they give me a bit of a sob story about what's going on. Now, sometimes they're clients. And so in that case, I, really <laughs> need, to hear, I need to hear. Yeah, I've been there. But, you know, in a kind of networking environment or something, people um, complaining about this and that. And, and I think that's probably true. I, I, I want to know from a human perspective, but it doesn't make me uh, want to buy from them or something just to know that, that they're in trouble or they had a bad week. I think, you know, that I'm much more interested as a buyer in me and what I'm going to get from a thing than what yeah. my, the supplier is going through personally. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. why it sounds really cruel, but it's human nature, I think. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that my dad said a lot back when we were moving to Carnival, because quite often we would get to next week by the skin of our teeth. I've often said we, we got open, but we never won any style points. Um, <laughs> our equipment was safe, but, you know, some weeks the ballet, the canvas around the skirting might not be on on day one. You know, it's uh, just little things like that. Um, we would get... Uh, there'd be more than more than once me and my dad would go to bring in the last load while other people were getting ready to open and we would get there and we would like, uh, you know, we would have loaded a trailer or, or changed a tire or uh, one time we loaded a 700 pound moonwalk uh, bounce house by ourselves. And every time we do something like that, the response would be, well, how did y'all do that? How did you manage to, to, to get that here? And my dad would always look at them and he'd have that granny go, what, did we have an excuse? Did we have an option? Was there a choice? You know? And that's the kind of, that's the kind of, uh, of thing that I believe a lot of people learned those lessons back when more people worked for themselves in businesses than work for themselves now. I mean, there's a difference between having a grocery store, a ranch, a farm, or in our case as a carnival, than there is having an internet uh, business, a blog, a podcast, for example. And is that because it's a built because it's a bit belt and braces? What is it about it that makes it different? Well, because I think that when you are blogging or podcasting or MLM or any of the online pursuits, I think there's sort of a community. Uh, there are a lot of people who will help you with or without being paid for it. But I think if in the more traditional businesses, the things that uh, families, mom and pops would be in there really was a sense of it's us against the world. Yeah, so, so, such an interesting distinction. And I guess that was also a time when there wouldn't have been a network of carnival um, owners, for instance. They wouldn't have been on a Facebook group together. <laughs> we wouldn't even talk to each other. Um, I think it's one of the things we have had conversations about in my family and in, and among other families, because quite a few of my, my in-laws are still in the business is how in the UK y'all have a showman's guild in Australia. They have a showman's guild. Y'all actually have a vehicle where you can come together on a regular basis and discuss problems, plan strategies for lobbying the, for lobbying parliament. 
we've never had anything like that in the United States. And we probably never will because the competition level is just too bitter and too ingrained that something like that could ever happen. Yeah. How, how interesting. So eventually that business, as you said, it wasn't viable and you couldn't carry on running it yourself. So you started doing something else as a, I don't want to overemphasize the, the, the being blind, although, I mean, you do call yourself the blind blogger, so you emphasize it yourself. But, but how, how relevant was being blind to running a business? Did it affect people's perception of you or did it affect your ability to do the job in any way? I found it actually affected me more than it affected any of them because in the first couple of three years, I wasn't so... Um, so obvious or so uh, open about being a blind person running a business because I felt, especially with the U.S. carnival owner market, that there would be people who would uh, either not want to do business with me or who might want to try to take advantage of me because of it. But what I found was the more I started being open about it, the more it actually started to uh, to help people, especially outside the U.S., because I find that the Aussies and the and the people from the U.K. are are far more accepting of things like that. And when they found out, there were um, it actually got me some respect in a lot of parts of the world and <clears throat> in parts of the industry outside of fun fairs and carnivals as well. And what I actually noticed is when I started saying, "Okay, I'm working on my website." Uh, somebody just sent me these photos. I'm trying to do, I'm trying to get these photos. I'm trying to get this ad up. What do y'all think? How does it look? And people would respond and, uh, they would help me make them better or they would share them with people. And I find, and I found, and I still find today that if I post a new equipment listing and ask people to give me some assistance to make it, uh, look better or read better, um, it gets lots of love on Facebook and other social media. But if I post the same equipment listing and say, hey, I just added this new ride, uh, looking for somebody who wants to buy it. Y'all, if y'all know anybody who needs something like this, be sure to tell them. That's like you hear crickets chirping. Mm. So again, you talk about assumptions. I made the assumption that it would work against me, but in fact, um, it gave me a level of credibility and, in some corners, I think uh, people even feel that I'm more honest or ethical because of the blindness. Yes. Do you think that that would be true for any of us to when we reveal something personal about ourselves? And, you know, not in the way we were talking before, not complaining and moaning and saying I'm the victim, but just revealing a challenge that we have or, or something something about ourselves. Do you think that that might help all of us to feel more connected with other people? Well, I would tell anybody who's listening or watching to do this for themselves. Go to your Facebook account and look for any post from somebody who's being authentically open and honest about a struggle they're having or problem they're trying to solve. Look at the number of comments, the number of likes and shares, and then try, if you can, to find a similar post from the same person where they're delivering good news or where they're bragging about a recent accomplishment, and then look at the uh, likes, shares, and comments. People are attracted to uh, honest, authentic stories. I mean, if it is something that you are really being challenged with in your life, then for the most part, especially in the online world, maybe, so not, maybe not so much in the face-to-face uh, arenas, but in the online world, there is a real respect and affection and affinity for people who are telling their honest story and even those people who are having to ask for help with that story. Uh, even now, I will openly admit when something is not going right or when I need help with something, and it still works. And I think it would work for most other people as long as it's real. Yeah, I mean, I've certainly noticed that myself. And actually, you know, of course, sometimes um, something will happen like a, a client will miss an appointment or they won't be ready for, for their meeting with me or uh, something goes wrong with, you know, an event that I'm going to and people are so apologetic and they feel so awful. And I always really like it. I mean, I always really like when something's gone wrong <laughs> for somebody else <laughs> and I get to see <laughs> and I, 
<laughs> that sounds awful. But God, let me just clarify what I mean. I don't want Yeah, finish your sentence there. I want to help yeah. you out. I, I don't want things to go wrong for other people, but I I one of the reasons that I like it is it makes me warm to them and it makes me feel more normal because things go wrong for me all the time. And so I get to see when someone is, oh sorry, you know, my my dogs were barking in the background or whatever. I think to myself, how sweet. They they are normal. They are human. And I connect with them more because that resonates with me. These things happen to me too. And I think we work very hard to pretend that we're not affected by anything and that everything's always good. And maybe that makes it difficult for people to connect with us and consequently do business with us. Yeah, I personally am very happy that we live in an era of storytelling where you can be the person you really are, that you don't have to to hide or, or make things up or uh, focus on just sharing the things that you that you like that happen or the good things that have happened to you, although there are people, especially on social media, that's all they do. But there's no reason for that because people do really relate and uh, and like you say, they bond with people who they see as real people by seeing them sometimes at their worst. And uh, I think the, the other thing that's really cool when things are going bad for somebody is do they, do they try to, you know, put a spin on it, make the best face on it? Or do they say, okay, this is what happened. It's not ideal. It's not what I expected. And, but here's what, how we're going to try to get through this so that everybody is, uh, is respected and, and has a good experience by the time we're through. So you now run this successful business and you blog and um, coach people to help them to, to take steps towards their goals, to, to find their passion, follow their dreams, just as you have done. What is, in, in your experience of working with people, um, what, is, what is it that stops people from taking that leap and actually taking steps towards what it is they really want? Well, one of the biggest ones that stops people or um, prevents them from continuing to move, move forward once they have started is overwhelm. Uh, somebody will have a goal and then they start thinking about everything that they will need to do, learn, uh, acquire in order to meet that goal. And they, wear themselves out, they scare themselves out of going after their goal. Um, because there are so many things. Uh, I think you gave, heard me give a laundry list earlier of the things I had to earn in order to run the Midway Marketplace. So people who want to do a podcast, some of them are like, uh, do I need a studio? Do I need professional equipment? Can I use my iPad, my iPhone, my laptop? Um, how will I promote it once I record it? Will anybody listen? Will anybody want to listen? Will people be mean to me on social media? You know, they just start thinking of everything that's going to go into it instead of focusing on the one thing that they can do right now, which in that example would be to just press record and start talking or call somebody up or email somebody and say, I want to record an interview. We'll meet at such and such a time and I'll just press record and we'll talk. Uh, instead of focusing on that, they've, got their mind going a hundred different directions on all these other things. And yeah, eventually you will need to, to answer those questions, but they're not the big question and they're not the one you have to answer right this second. So which are the questions when you're starting off that you have to answer first? Well, for me, it used, to, I, I have to explain that I've gone from, uh, from, from one very bad place in my life to a very good place. I've gone from, I don't know anything else, but, and I can't do this, and there's no way I could do that, to, yeah, I can do that, or, yeah, I'll try that. Um, sure, that sounds like it would be fun, to now, well, that sounds like it would be fun, but is it a good fit for me at this particular time? Is it something that serves my purpose? So I've gone from uh, nothing, I can't do anything, to I can do everything, to, yeah, I could do everything, but what do I really want and need to do? And those are some really uh, big places along the road there. Mm. Yeah, I really love that distinction because I think there's a lot of um, stuff out there at the moment that says, 
go for it. You know, you can do it. And all, you know, you, you can, if you can think of it, you can make it happen without then asking the question, but do you want to, you know, is it, is it ultimately right for you? And not everything that you can do is necessarily things that you should do. Right. One of the things I am finding out over the last say year or so is um, when I first started writing and sharing as the blind blogger, people were like, you know, Max, you would make a great coach. And I have made a great coach. And I think I am an amazing coach. However, I'm finding that people prefer to be inspired and motivated by, by me um, from, from afar or through my posts as opposed to working with me one-on-one. But what they, what they do want from me is they want to know, well, Max, how do you get on all those podcasts and blog posts? And how do you meet all these amazing people who become part of your story and your journey? And they're willing to pay me to do that. You know, I have lots of great conversations with people who are like, I'm doing really good work, but I need to get more people to read my posts or, or watch my videos. So yeah, I'm still coaching and I love helping people get unstuck and move forward. But I'm finding that as I'm helping people get more exposure for their brand and growing themselves in their, in their personal, uh, their personal image, their personal brand online and in person that I also get to do some coaching, but just in a different way. One of my first clients went, has gone from, uh, nobody would want to hear me be interviewed to being interviewed all over the place to, if I post, if uh, people found out I was an author, it might cost me work. She's an attorney to now she's published her book in Portuguese. So that it's available in her home country of Brazil and she's having live book events. So everybody now knows that this woman is an author. So while my main focus is helping people grow their businesses and uh, their passions and get more exposure for them so they can see more results in a shorter period of time. At the same time, I'm getting to show people, yeah, the world does want to hear your story. You do need to, to tell people what it was like to find out your husband had a whole nother family or, you know, what it was like to go from having a real job to being a paid author. And these are the things I'm finding out about myself and the people I work with as it happens, which I think is an interesting thing for me because I think one of the real problems people have is they see coaches and gurus and they think that person has it all together. They know what they're doing and where they're going every minute of every day. And I don't know about them, but I know for me, my life is more like a river than it is anything else. It's uh, gone from, one great opportunity and challenge to another. And the more I think I know exactly who I am and what I'm doing, the more I realize, well, are you really? And I have to have that conversation with myself on a regular basis. Is this really who I am? Is this what I love doing? Am I uh, really helping people make changes in, in the way that I'm working with them? And some days I get up and I go, yeah, Max, you're on the right track. Everything's going great. Other days I get up and I'm like, Max, are you sure? That, you know, that really makes me think about something that, that I haven't thought about for a while, which is, you know, we talked before about why people might get stuck. And I wonder if one of the reasons is that they think that if they make a change, then that change that they've made is a one-way street it's permanent. And what if they decide, having made that change, that they don't like it and they're stuck with it? And hearing you talk, I, I think actually the truth of it is you make a change because you think something might work for you, a new business or a new lifestyle, whatever it might be. But actually at any point with most things, you can pivot, you can reinvent, you can do the same thing, but do it a different way. You're not actually on a one-way street and you're stuck with it until you decide to make some other momentous change. It can be small, little changes, like you've made in your business as you realize what it is people really want from you as opposed to what you thought they would want. Yeah, and it's not only what I thought they would want from me, but what friends and people I trust think thought that they would want from me. 
And I think that's another thing. People feel like if they do have to change, if change a second or third or fourth time, that it um, means that maybe there's something wrong with them or the people they are associating themselves with if they have to continually make new changes. But it isn't necessarily the case that there's anything wrong. No, no, no. It could, it could be changing circumstances. It could be that you just felt really good that this was really right and it turned out that it wasn't. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And I hope that that would help people, you know, with this whole pressure to make the right decision. And that pressure to make the right decision being the thing that stops them making any decision at all. You know, I recently read where colleges are now offering financial aid for students to take a gap year because they actually want these students to be exposed to a lot of other things before they focus in on what their course of study is going to be and start that four or six or eight year grind to complete their degree program. Yeah. I mean, it must be pretty expensive for universities when people start their degree and then decide after one semester that it isn't for them. That's, that must be costly to the, and, and, and they wouldn't have known if it was for them because they were 18 coming straight from full-time education. What do they know? <laughs> <laughs> oh yes it's so true we we want people to decide what they're going to be when they're six you know or uh it's it is crazy how much time and energy we spend uh wanting to have or being told we need to have that one thing we're going to do from now on it is just crazy one of the things that's very um, interesting about you, which we haven't talked about yet, is that you lost a lot of weight. Now, we're recording this in January, and I know there are people out there, myself included, who want to shift a few pounds, but you did significantly more than that, didn't you? Yeah, I lost uh, somewhere around 250 pounds because we don't know exactly how much I weighed when we when I started because I had been working with my primary care doctor to lose weight before I was uh, weighed in at the gastric surgery clinic where I would eventually have surgery. So in February of 2012, I weighed 512 pounds. My brother has a photo where he swears it looks like I weighed more closer to six. Wow. And what what had led to that? level of weight gain? Well, I was never a thin person to begin with. Um, I was, was raised up in a family where, where big, strong, healthy men meant free labor. And uh, as I was no longer doing heavy, the heavy work of moving equipment, and um, I had put on weight. And then after my dad's death, I put on weight. And then when our carnival failed for a couple of years. We joined up with my uncle's carnival, who we had competed with very bitterly before, the, before that time. And uh, I was not happy with that, so put on more weight to the point where I was very, very heavy at, and uh, also had undiagnosed sleep apnea. So combined, I was not a very healthy person and uh, was told by one doctor in Port Lavaca, Texas, that he didn't have hopes for me being around much longer if I didn't address my health. Was that the thing that triggered you really taking it seriously? Yeah, it was definitely the beginning because I went and, and for the first time in my life, I actually had a regular doctor and actually went for uh, checkups twice a year and, you know, was, uh, was willing to listen and was also willing to tell them, you know, what, what, uh, what my body was like and what I was feeling at the time. And so we made some real progress. Um, that's one of the things I have learned is that if you're going to see a doctor or if you're going to try to make progress and you, you know, you're in the shape I was, you have to be willing to be honest with them. You have to listen to them and then you have to do what they, what they have advised you to do. And doing all of that ain't easy either. It sounds a lot, it sounds easy, but you know, most people go to their doctors and they go there expecting to be told to, to stop smoking, quit drinking, lose weight, or something along those lines. They take, their, they take their yelling at and go home. Yeah, but you didn't. You took it. You took it seriously, and you continue to do that, don't you? Now? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I would say of all the lessons that I had to learn uh, prior to having the surgery and uh, so that I would be able to maintain the weight once I had the surgery, because 50, only 50% of the people who have a gastric procedure will lose 80 to 90% of the weight they need to lose. Uh, a lot of people will not lose weight, and some people will even uh, gain weight or they will lose the weight and then gain it back and gain more, just like with any other any other diet. So it's just a beginning, and you have to make a lot of changes. And I would say of, the, of all the things that I have done, the one thing that made the most difference for me was having explained to me the value of switching from liquids to solids because the stomach can take in a lot more liquid than it can solid, which means a lot more calories. And switching from juice and milk to fruit, yogurt, string cheese, and other dairy uh, has made a lot of difference. That was, you know... Yeah, we changed portion sizes. We've changed a lot of the things that we eat and how we and how we prepare them. But I would say that was the biggest one. Uh, realizing you, you didn't have to give up milk; you just had to go from drinking it to chewing it. <laughs> and and that's it. I'd never heard that advice before, but I guess it makes sense. I mean, we know that there's a real problem with um, consumption of high sugar fizzy drinks for instance and these massive smoothies that people that people are yeah. having which we never used to have i mean how thirsty can you be you know well i don't know about you but since i had the surgery if somebody brings me a 32 ounce bottle of soda even, let's say it's diet soda it will take me several hours to drink that bottle yeah it will almost always be warm by the time I have finished it because I just don't have that capacity anymore. Uh, you know, yes, I've switched liquids for solids, but also I don't have the room for as much liquid as I used to either. And some people who have surgery because, uh, will develop a sensitivity to extreme temperatures and won't and and can't uh, drink cold or really hot beverages. Oh. But here's something to think about. Here's, here's something you probably have more experience with than I do or than most people in the U.S. do. If you go to a traditional Italian uh, restaurant or coffee house and ask them for a, a cappuccino or a latte, <clears throat> they serve it in something that nowadays would look like a thimble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, they bring this really rich or really well-prepared coffee, and it's designed to be – an experience that you savor, that you that you drink slowly, um, while you you know while you inhale the steam, and look, you know it's it's meant to be similar to a good glass of wine, but we drink you know huge cups of coffee, cappuccino, espresso, but that's not the way it was intended to be. It wasn't intended to be a an energy energy drink or you know a uh, a fluid replacement. It was intended to be an experience. Yeah. When we were traveling, you, you might not know this, but we, my daughter and I spent a few months traveling around Europe together. And we spent uh, some time living with an Airbnb host who was a, a coffee connoisseur, American guy who had been trained all over the world to make coffee. And he had all these extraordinary machines in his apartment. Um, and he made me some coffee. He made us coffee every morning, but I don't drink that much coffee. So I had a coffee every now and again. But it's a real ritual that... And having seen what went into making that coffee, there's no way that I would have just gulped it down in a kind of takeaway cup as I was driving. You know, so much effort and precision went into making it that the only way to drink it was to savor every little sip of it until it was gone. And then you wouldn't want another one because you'd had every bit of joy from that one little cup. And that is the second, that's the, actually the most important lesson I learned. The, sec, the thing about liquids for solids, that was the second. But the most important one is, is you have to find a way to get to satiation or satisfaction. If you truly approach your food, your beverages as an experience, like you were just talking about, like that somebody put a lot of effort into this, I should really enjoy it. <clears throat> then when you're through eating, it's not going to be a case where 15 minutes later you're hungry again or 30 minutes later you're wondering, did I eat today? Uh, and so, you know, you have to avoid things like eating while you're standing, eating while you're driving, 
those are hard to do in our in our world nowadays. But uh, even eating at your at your desk or having your smartphone in one hand and a fork in the other, those are just not conducive to really enjoying and being satisfied by your food to the point that you get full and stay full. So one of the things that's really impressive about you and some of the other guests that I have on, on my show is that they not only help other people to make change, but they have made change and sustained that change in their own life. So they, they're walking the walk as well as talking the talk. Yeah. What is it, do you think, I mean, you mentioned before about people being overwhelmed is there anything else that you've really found so useful in terms of not just starting, but actually continuing to make changes every day until you've achieved your goal? Is, is there anything that we can, we can learn about that to be better at that? Well, the one, one thing is, is that I get up every day expecting uh, to have at least one positive conversation, experience, or event take place during my day. And um, people, a lot of people have asked me, you know, Max, how do you maintain your positive attitude? How do you continue to find joy when you're operating a business and you have to perform tasks that you don't like or things that you didn't want to happen happen? Or you do everything right and the result you were hoping for still doesn't occur. And I say that you have to really go out of your way to to find the positive and the joyful moments during your daytime. And I like to tell people that being positive and finding those moments is just like finding anything else. It's just like when you lose the TV remote or your car keys. You know it's there somewhere, and you just keep looking until you find it. If you can't find it on your own, then, you know, you might bring call the other members of the family into the living room and have them help you start pulling out the couch cushions or moving furniture, you know that that remote or those keys are there somewhere and you keep looking until you find them. No matter how bad your day is, there's going to be something in it that was good, that was positive or even fun. But a lot of times it's such a small thing and it goes by really quickly that we have to really think about it. We have to make a conscious effort to even get Get out a piece of paper or open up a document on your computer sometimes and make a list of, well, what did I do today? Or what have I done in the last three months or a year? Because, you know, one of the things, quite honestly, that I sometimes get trapped by myself is just not realizing how amazing everything I have done to this point is because I've done it. And because at the time I was doing it, I was just going from here to there to there to there not really thinking about how big a challenge it happened to be at the time. So even for me, there are times when uh, I'll be having a bad day or maybe I'll post something on Facebook that isn't exactly 100% positive and somebody will go, yeah, but Max, you did that. And I think that that's, uh, it's a combination of finding positive. It's also uh, being grateful and showing gratitude towards those moments during your day that were amazing. It brings me back to something that you said earlier about the world wants to know your story. And it sounds from what you're saying that, you know, the stories aren't created in, on purpose in a way. It's, it's just you going about your life. But when you take a moment and look back, you realize what you've achieved and that gives you then strength to go on and do the next thing. Yeah. I sometimes wonder if I'm all that great of an example because quite often uh, the things I've done have been things other people have, have either uh, suggested, asked, or in some cases dared. And, you know, here I am 11 years later now just starting the blind blog. I mean, excuse me, since starting the Midway Marketplace, uh, 11, almost 12 years later. And when, and you know what is my least, my least preferred, or I guess you'd say my most hated question a host can ask me is, Max, what are you going to do next? <laughs> because most of the time I don't know. And I like to say, I don't want to put limits on God. So it could be that what I have in mind for myself isn't big enough or it's going in the wrong direction. So I really don't know. And that, and so, like I say, 
I sometimes wonder if I am all that great of an example. I know I am. Uh, I know that uh, the fact that I continue to show up every day when I have the per- one of the perfect excuses not to is uh, inspirational in 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 the in itself that uh, that particular message. But when it comes to you know making decisions and uh, setting a path and deciding actions, I'm not so I'm not so sure if I'm in control or not all of the time. And I can honestly admit that because I got to believe that I'm not the only person who wonders if if I'm doing it or if I'm responding to it. I just know that I'm having a lot of fun. I meet a lot of people, make a lot of friends. I've been on some great adventures. I've had some some catastrophic disasters. But here I am 11 years later, and when I'm through here, I'm going to go open my email and see what today may have in the way of that next thing I'm supposed to be doing. Well, Max, it's been so fantastic to talk to you. And... Um... I mean, I agree with you. I don't think that some of the amazing things that happen in our lives were all intentional, you know, and the, and the trick is to, um, to just, I, I remember when my daughter was learning how to ride a bike and we were all shouting down the street, just keep pedaling, just keep pedaling. <laughs> the, the, the trick is just keep pedaling. <laughs> yes. Know, see what happens. See what's around the next bend. Yeah, I have I have a friend who about once about once every six months will post the picture. Well, she tells me it's a picture. She posts a picture of Dory, and the caption is always "Just keep swimming." Yes, exactly. Because that's what Dory says in the movie: "Just keep swimming," and. <laughs> You know, so I, I do my best. And I I openly admit that when I do these interviews, sometimes I uh, sometimes I answer questions in a way that maybe aren't what the hosts were expecting. And sometimes I learn as much about my, as myself as, as I do um, helping others. <clears throat> but the one thing I'm trying to do is I'm trying to be honest. I'm trying to let people know what I think and feel about these particular questions or issues in my life. And hopefully – it will make things easier on them because I do believe a lot of people are frustrated by seeing, uh, seeing successful people and then thinking that successful person never has questions, never has concerns, never has doubts. I've enjoyed this conversation so, so much. I've learned tons actually. And I can see why, um, why people have been telling you all this time that, that you're inspiring and you should share your ideas because it's definitely, definitely true for me anyway. Well, I appreciate hearing that and because most of the time I don't really know how the interview went until the host tells me how it went. So thank you. And I want to make sure, <clears throat> yeah, and, uh, and I want to, yeah, uh, people who do these interviews as a rule, a lot of us are, uh, are insecure about our performances. So there's another thing y'all learned today that you probably weren't expecting to. But I also want to remember to thank you for all the effort that you put into doing this uh, show of yours because I know that it takes a lot of time, effort, and in some cases, quite a bit of money. And, you know, people who do these are never truly rewarded in, in anywhere near the level of the, of the passion that they're expressing by doing these shows and giving people like me a platform to share our stories. Max, thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. What a super, super guy. You can find out more about Max on his website, theblindblogger.net. That's where you can find out more about his books, his blogs, his podcasts, even hiring him as your publicist, if that's something you're interested in. So all of that is there at theblindblogger.net. Please also check out our Brilliant Gamble website. It's constantly changing. There's new stuff on there all the time, new blogs, um, the full archive of all the podcasts is there, and a load of new stuff that we're producing as well, even some videos in the coming weeks and months to help you make a living doing what you love to do and the lifestyle that goes along with that. So do check it out. And of course, the Brilliant Gamble online program is there as well. If you're really serious about making a change and you don't want to be the reason that doesn't happen you want to get out of your own way this is the program for you and all of that is at a brilliant 
With all the various ways you can stay in touch with me and the team here at A Brilliant Gamble, here's the lovely Ivy Palmer.